I didn't have any issues with my kids. I had been involved in their life throughout that by the time they became teenagers, they still knew that they could trust me. And I think what happens around teenage years, this is a guess, they lose trust in the parents. They break that trust that they may have had as children that when it comes to having these types of conversations and encouraging, like, hey, we're going to put our phones away. I say we, we're going to put our phones away. They're like, all right, cool. fine." But they never backtalked me or said, no, I won't do that. I can't do that. When it comes to building a business empire online while intentionally cultivating a thriving life at home with kids, well, there is no roadmap. It's not easy. But the great news is we're not alone. We live in a crazy world that is truly unlike any other time in our history. And if you're like me, you've got an impact of your own to make. But you're not willing to sacrifice your relationship with those that you love in order to get it. My name is Stephanie Dove Blake, and this is the Powerful Parenting Journey podcast where we'll journey together to learn what it means to be a truly powerful parent. Let's go. All right, you guys, you're in for a treat. The episode I'm going to share with you today is an interview I did with TV Aguirre. He is someone I've known from back in my early days on my entrepreneurial journey. We actually met in a mastermind and something about who he is as a human really stood out to me even then. So we became Facebook friends and I've kept up with him through Facebook over the years. And the thing that has really stood out to me the most about TV is that he is truly a great man. He's an incredible entrepreneur. He's a creator. He's an artist. He's a poet. And among those titles, he proudly lists himself as a girl dad. And that's one of his most proud titles. And I have always just loved that so much about him. TV is a very successful entrepreneur that has designed his business to give him the life that he always dreamed of so that he could be with his girls. Because of this, he has been able to pour into his girls in some really incredible creative ways. I can't wait for you to hear about them. Despite being divorced and having shared custody with his girls, he didn't let that stop him. He found ways to have impactful time with his girls and to pour into them, teach them, and train them. And let me just tell you what, it is beautiful. If you want to design the life of your dreams and learn creative ways to build your relationship with your children, even if you didn't have an example in your home growing up, I invite you to sit back, get some coffee, do whatever you do, and listen in. This is a good one. I'd love TV. If you could just talk to everybody about, you know, how did this entrepreneurial journey start for you? I know before we started, you were kind of talking about how you made this decision over 14 years ago. Correct. So it started with the four hour work week. Uh, Tim Ferriss's book, I had a friend here locally. We were taking some classes. He discovered the book and then he shared it with me and he said, Hey, let's, let's try this out. Um, it was a bunch of us that tried it out, and it was like 10 of us at the time. We tried to do this group project. It didn't work out. It was too many people. So we decided to do something, and we it started to work, started to come together. Um, and that's when it just, the, the whole idea came from the book, and we started a little business. And at some point, the decision needed to be made and how, how involved I wanted to become because I, I needed to be home with my daughters. So that's that's basically where it started and the reason was because I wanted to be more involved in my daughter's lives. They were itty bitty at the time and I was freshly divorced. So I figured that the best way to be more involved was to control my schedule and to do something entrepreneurial that would allow me to write that, to create that schedule for myself. Ah, I love that. And and that's one thing I I love so much too, because you're in a co-parenting relationship where 
you know, you don't have your your daughters full time, but whenever I get to see you kind of highlighting when they're with you and what that looks like, it's it's so beautiful. And I and I I think your girls are very blessed to call you dad. So will you talk to me a little bit about what that looks like for uh the co-parenting situation that you currently have? Like you, I don't know, do you get them every other weekend or every weekend or like what does that look like? Pretty much just it's been every other weekend. Um it's been a pretty good setup once we kind of uh settled in into the the arrangement um get them every other weekend uh, we agree that uh if something comes up we pretty much talk it out and these days i hardly even speak to her to be honest yeah. um because the girls are much older so they manage the schedule they communicate with mom uh and usually it's it's, it's really easy it, it works because we tr- made it work at the very beginning we we made intentional made it intentional to just try to keep it as drama free as possible uh, when I get them, I just uh, try to do very intentional things because I don't have the time with them that I would love to. Uh, I like to say that the, that scarcity actually forced me to be more involved because I, every moment was precious. Mm. It had to be very intentional. I couldn't just let them be hanging out in the house and me just be distracted because I wouldn't see them for two more weeks. So yeah. in the process of that, she also allowed me to do a lot of other things and, and just not... I wouldn't say interfere, but just let me be because she knew that I had the daughter, my girls, our daughter's best interest at heart. Um, so we've always gotten along for that reason. And it's one thing that I really appreciated about her. Oh, yeah. And your girls are 20 and 18, right? Yes, they're 20 and 18 right now. I have two adults. I know this is kind of weird, but it's the world we live in. But I feel like I know them a little bit because you you have made posts and you've talked about their growth and you've talked about things that you mentioned earlier that you've, you've gotten them into some, some things that you felt like would expand them and grow them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I've, I've kind of, you know, through Facebook lens, gotten to see them go through those things. And, uh, like you mentioned before, you, you got them, um, uh, well, before we started recording, you mentioned that your daughter actually has a show this Thursday for, yes. for spoken word. Would you talk to us about, you know, what, why did you get, why did you make that intentionality to, to get them in, to have that experience with spoken word? And, and what were your thoughts behind spending quality time with them through that? Um, the idea was, I, I like it. I enjoy it. Um, and spoken word allows you to express yourself. Um, it doesn't even have to rhyme. It's just about the the act of writing and expressing your emotions. And it was an outlet. So I decided to take them when they were very young. I didn't know what would happen with it. They never really competed or anything like that. Because this actually, the team was, the, the whole um, workshops that I sent, I took them to was intended for teenage kids to compete. Um, my girls were involved at a very early age, very early age. And the idea behind it was just to give them that outlet. Um, they became little cheerleaders and they became a part of the team and they would write, they would do all the exercises and what ended up coming out of it. And I find that this is like actually one of the best decisions I ever made was getting them involved because they're able to write, express themselves, put in, put into paper what they may be going through. They witness other people sharing their, their emotions and their pieces. And they had to honor that and also witness other people's um, processes, other people's struggles. Wow. So they got to appreciate other human beings. Um, they got to perform. So now they're so comfortable with the mic in their hand, on stage, holding stage, um, holding center court. And it, it's just a fantastic uh, exercise because, as you know, a lot of people really struggle, ourselves included. I don't know about you, but I struggled initially, and I'm a little better, at speaking in public forum. 
Um, so it was just so many things that end up ended up coming out of that one decision that is something that I encourage almost anyone and everyone to to expose their kids to. That's awesome. I, I love what you said earlier too about um scarcity making the time that you have to the girls more precious. And while uh not everyone might be in the situation where they only have access to their kids every other weekend. Um, sometimes I think people are living almost like they only have access to their kids every other week. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> this is a very good point. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I do. They stay so busy. And so, and, and many times it comes in a different format. So for some families, and I want to acknowledge this, for some families, sports is a way of connection genuinely, and they connect mm-hmm. through sports. But I also know some other families that they stay so busy with kids' activities that there actually isn't any downtime or true connection time. They're just, they're just side by side doing things and going places. And that heart connection isn't there. Um, How, how are, what are some of the other ways, you know, you, you got them into spoken word and obviously you had to kind of, you had to be their guide as they were, you know, learning this. And I'm sure you took them places and Mm -hmm. spent time with them watching shows and experiencing things. Um, Were there any other things that you did with them in order to develop that connection in a deeper way and that quality of time? I mean, it was a very engaging format. Uh, I got them coaches. (laughs) Uh, That was one of the privileges that I I tried to really put in place is getting them further education in this space and, and all these things. Um, I got them into chess. I got them involved. They're, we actually accidentally started a chess team. So, <laughs> and, uh, I, tell the, I tell the story is that we, there was a game club after school when they were a little bitty in elementary and uh, there was a chess board and we, they, I, I was there with them. We just pulled it out and we started playing chess and a couple of the kids came around. They wanted to play like, Hey, what are you doing? Before you knew it, uh, within a month, we had like 12 chess boards and, we were trying to teach everyone and we didn't know what we were doing. We just knew the basic moves. But what ended up happening through these activities is that we're all, we all became the teachers and we all started to connect even more and understanding like what, what do we need to teach them to, to actually understand? Um, and it's the, the intention behind all of this is actually having even further conversations, richer conversations, like sharing like what the strategy in, in the chess what the strategy was here, what you're thinking is here and how it can relate to the real world, because chess is really much a real, the applications are very much real world. As it applied to the poetry is talking about real world things and connecting and understanding uh, people's traumas, people's issues, people's happiness. So always trying to do things that would further engage us and drive us into deeper conversations, which would then get us to connect even deeper as oh well. Oh gosh. And I think those deeper conversations are where our children learn. Do I have a place to have a voice and do I have a place to belong where my voice is heard? Yes. Um, I think yes. is what's so super powerful. And another thing I want to pull out from the, the, the accidental chess team story is you took the time to hang out after school and saw that opportunity. And you just sat down after school to play some chess. Now, I, it may not seem like much, but there's, you know, usually if you're an entrepreneur, you're doing a thing, or maybe you're working a job and you're listening to this podcast and you're not an entrepreneur, but you're doing a thing. And it's, I feel like so often in times, uh, in our day and age, many people don't slow down, particularly parents mm-hmm. to yeah. make space for those opportunities of connection and exploration beyond just like, let's get home. Right. You know? I, um, I, they're 20 and 18. And it's it's just, uh, it's heart-wrenching to say in many ways, but I am so grateful that I did those things, that I, had, I was in a position to be able to be there after school. Every Tuesday for three, four years, I was there, I think it was Tuesdays, after school for game night. Wow. Uh, and what which became for chess, 
chess day, not night, chess, after school chess team uh, practice. And then we ended up competing, which is oh crazy. We'd be, yeah. we, we literally became a competitive team and we'd go to tournaments on weekends. It was, it was bananas. But I had that privilege. I knew that I, the reason I quit was to be more involved. So I always had to check myself. Uh, when I would get too busy and like, wait, why am I doing this? What's the point of this? It wasn't to accumulate a bunch of money. It was to spend more time with them. So that's always been my driving factor and the, the decision that I would check myself with, the question that I would check myself with to ensure that I was spending time with them. Did that drive any decisions in your business that changed outcomes maybe for your business financially by making those choices? Um, at times I, I had to pass on certain opportunities just because it was going to be too much work or it was going to take me away from opportunities to, to be more involved with the girls or be present with the girls. Um, and that's a, another reason why my business, I've been in, 14, in, in, in business 14 years since I quit. It was really slow. Uh, I was in no big rush. I wanted to grow fast, but I was also knowing that I wanted to spend time with the girls. Um, so I, I had to sacrifice time that I might have put into the business. I say sacrifice, but I chose deliberately to be more involved, to be at all these events and 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 to show up for them as much as possible, knowing that as time would go on, I would continue to build and uh, accumulate more clients and, and more revenue. Yeah. So what's been the fruit from that? Obviously, I mean, there's fruit that we've just talked about here, but maybe there's fruit that, you know, you can't see through a Facebook lens or like describe and talk to us about what the relationship with your daughters look like now that they're adults. Like you have two adults. Like what is happening? (laughs) I I think one of the biggest fruits, that's a good way to put it, is that I have a very, very strong connection to the both of them. Unique, separate connections. They're they're very different in many ways. One, my older one didn't go to college. Um, She, and and one of the things that I, I taught her a lot, she actually did a video editing for me. She did a lot of content and she she was involved in the business. And of course, we speak our language, right? So they're they're learning through osmosis, even though they're not they don't realize they're learning. But she is now uh, essentially the project manager for a digital advertising and marketing agency. Oh, that's awesome. She started as an intern and now she's become a key member, like basically her right hand. My she's a friend of mine. She gave her a job as an intern and she's become an essential and vital part of the team. She loves the job. She enjoys the stuff. She learns quickly. She's excelling beyond belief. Um, And we talk almost every other day and she comes over often. And and I guess the key thing I want to say is this, they don't, they now choose, they can choose whether to engage with me or not. They're no longer legally obligated um, to, to check in or to show up or to even call me, but the relationship is so strong and with both of them that they want to be, they want to talk to dad. And that for me is the biggest fruit. Yeah, man. Oh my gosh. Goals, right? Like whenever we raise kids, uh, you know, as mothers or as fathers, we don't go through everything we go through to have a kid and like, yeah, I just, my dreams and my hope is that they're going to turn 18 and they're going to be out of the house and I never hear from them again. (laughs) You know, that's, nobody's goal, but yet, you know, sometimes we live in a way where it's almost like we expect for that to happen, especially whenever parents hit rough patches and they feel very disconnected from their kids and their kids feel disconnected from them. And, um, you know, when that happens, it can be like, ah, I'm already too late or I'm mm. back from this, you know? Right. Um, but what I love about your story is that from the begin, from the beginning, your girls had your heart and you had their heart and mind and you intentionally chose to build a life that equated to you having freedom to be with them and invest in that relationship. And it's an essential 
essentially it's, it's choosing to intentionally pour out your life for them, you know, yes. for, for that connection, which I just think is just so beautiful. Um, can we talk just a little bit about your, how, how you were parented and, and, and what you went through as a young boy? Uh, I, I don't know anything about, you know, your life or your past, but usually whenever someone shows up and they make these awesome intentional decisions, it usually is a result of either, you know, I saw this and I wanted to model it, or I saw the opposite and I wanted to make sure I did not do that. And so I'm curious in your own life and your own uh, childhood, what, what was that like for you with your mother and your father? Uh, it was rough. Um, very much the, oh, I will never do this with my child. Mm-hmm. And when I become a father kind of uh, model that you just uh, elaborated on, um, I was pretty much left on, to my own devices. Uh, my father, they both worked really hard and they gave us as much as they could. Um, my father pretty much uh, decided not to father me much. He didn't do much. And I don't say that to dismiss him, but he didn't do much. But around uh, as soon as I got a job, he really just at 16, he just was done with me. He told me to figure out how to get to school. He told me like I had to do so. The idea of me trying to if my daughter's trying to figure out how to get to school as a freshman on their own is flabbergasting. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what I essentially had to do. And I could have quit. I could have just been a drop. I could have done so many things. So I was left to my own devices. And then it I knew that if I could do this on my own with my drive, I'm happy for that. What could happen if if a father was more involved, if he actually showed up, if he actually was pushing and motivating me, encouraging me? Um, So that's always been the model by which I live, like almost 100 percent of the way I was raised to be the opposite of that, Um, because there had to I always say this, it's like. There has to be a better way. This cannot be it. And I was a child, but I knew early on I didn't want to be that. Um, and I love my parents, but they just didn't have the tools, especially my father. Um, and that's been my driving force is to be, I'm sure you heard this, be the, be the father that I wish I, I had. Yeah. Um, because there were so many places where I, it could have gone a lot worse. Um, but luckily I had something in my head that said, no, you go to work, you continue to push, you continue to to learn. And that's what's kind of brought me to this place. Was oh, so I, I don't, there may not be an answer to this, but whenever you think about the reason why you did have that inside of you, are, are there any other things that you can point to as far as where that drive came from? Like, did you have a, a moment where you kind of decided who you wanted to be, or was it someone in your life that modeled that that you were able to latch on to, or anything like that? I didn't really have that. Um, I'm an immigrant kid, first one to learn English in my family. Uh, first one to graduate from high school. So I didn't, I didn't have much of that. Um, my family, my community didn't, we didn't have that. Uh, I, in digging in, cause I'm trying to, I have tried to answer that question. The best I could conclude is the books that I was reading. I was a very avid reader when I found out that a library, the library card can, I can check out all these books then with permission and then walk out with them and not pay for them was like out of this world. And I started getting this belief that if I could, I had any curiosity, I could probably, if I had any question, I could find it in a book. I could check that book out. And I remember reading books about, and I think this is what happened about potential people's stories, biographies. Um, and I think that is the closest explanation I have to under believing in myself that there was more out there. Wow. Um, and I've always been a weird kid. I, w- I was that weirdo. And my friend actually told me recently, like, you didn't care. <laughs> you, we'd be out here running and running in the streets, you know, doing weed, drinking. Doing, you didn't care. You were drawing. You were being a nerd. You were 
reading and you just you you did it and did not care what anybody thought about you and that was kind of the other part i just didn't care um but books i think is the only thing i have that's amazing though and and i think that that's a testimony to the power of books because you can be mentored by people in books and inspired yeah. and your life can be changed i mean i'm I'm reading a book right now by Dr. Benjamin Hardy, and I just feel like a different human being after reading it as a be your future self now. And it's so powerful, right? And so I love that you found books and that they sustained you that way. But it sounds like, you know, whether we want to, I don't know, take on titles or whatever, but it sounds like, you know, whenever we're as kids, whenever we are have uh, trauma or our difficult circumstances in our lives, it causes us to choose, right? Yes, yes, yes. We have to choose. And um, it sounds to me like you made some exceptional choices, extraordinary choices as a young kid, you know, which, you know, thank God, right? Because I know many, many friends who did not make good choices. They make the opposite choice. Yeah. I've mm-hmm. had those friends as well. Yeah. Unfortunately. And it's, it's, it's really bad to see how that plays out for them in life, even from a young age. And it's like, man, it, if only they had the, maybe, maybe a mentor would have done it. I don't know. But mm-hmm. whenever we're, would, would you say you were, I guess at 16, if you were told to get to school, however you, you saw fit, it's more <laughs> of that, that latch key raising mentality, right? It's a little of that. Yeah. Um, he just didn't want to get up in the morning and take me to school. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I had, I'm like, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to finish this thing. <laughs> yeah. And it was just that self-determination. That very much a latchkey kid. I just was left to figure out my, how to raise myself and, and feed myself as well. Yeah. And, and you said that both of them worked really hard and mm-hmm. there's kind of this prevailing phrase or thought process, especially in the entrepreneurial community. I feel like there's almost two camps. And one of the mm-hmm. camps is, Hey, go out there, build your business, work your rear off, hustle, hustle, hustle. Your kids will understand when they're older because they're going to see what you mm-hmm. built and they're mm-hmm. going to see you going after your dreams. And then there's this other camp that's like, uh, no, that's a fast path to therapy for your children for years, right? Like that's not the answer. Do you have any thoughts on either camp there? <laughs> I do. Um... They don't care about all that. They, they they really don't. I mean, you see it today with wealthy people, like their children, most of them really don't care about all of it. I mean, they'll, they'll live in it. They'll bask in it, obviously. But if you were to really unpack it, most of them, and you hear stories about it all the time, they're like, I just wanted time with dad. Yeah. I just needed time with mom. And what's the point? What's the point of it all? You can accumulate billions of dollars. And if that meant that the whole time you were not with your kid and, and not present and like, what's the point of all that money if you're not present while they're being, they're, they're growing up and these beliefs are being installed on them in, within them all around without your involvement. And almost everyone will tell you that they wish their dad was just around more. Or mom was around more. They could have cared less for the, the money that was left behind because they didn't ever know their father or mother. Like to me, it's just, I choose y'all. I choose to be more involved and sacrifice some money uh, in exchange for that time because the story, and this is where for me, here's where the proof is, is just listen to the stories that they tell, um, that we tell. We all tell stories about our childhood. What does that say? That the childhood was critical. The childhood shaped us, obviously. Then why are we not more involved in their childhood to be a part of those stories? 
in a positive way instead of in a negative way where, oh, mom and dad were not around. Oh, they didn't care about me. <laughs> yep. And I, I, I can't agree with you more on that. And, and and with your own, you know, whenever you take it from your journey, you you saw that they were working hard. Like that was knowledge you understood. They were working really hard, but it didn't equate to necessarily the relationship that you wanted to have with them, even though they were working hard post all of that relationship. Um, what right now, what is it like with your parents? Are you closer with them now? Have you kind of come back around or where is it now? We're closer. I was I was never very a hateful man. Uh, and especially once I got older, um, and I really it clicked and like they did what they could. Um, yeah. we all are doing the best job we can. If you knew better, you do better, right? Um, and my father's illiterate, so he couldn't even pick up a book to read it if he wanted to. Uh he haven't said that. We do well, we're doing better. It's just challenging. He's my father's actually really soft now. He had a stroke. So now he wants hugs and kisses, which is crazy to me because he was such a hard immigrant father, like beat you kind of thing. Like he I was getting spanking the whoopings all the time. And now he wants hugs and kisses. He never even told me he loved me as a child. Now he's always telling me how much he loves me. And so we're, we're closer in that regard, but now he's a broken, fragile man. And that that's it's hard to witness. It's hard to be around um, because he's also telling stories about how miserable his life is. So mm. said all that, we are closer to answer your question. That's so good to hear that. Um, and I, I love the maturity that you've, you obviously done some work in yeah. order to be able to come <laughs> back around to the conclusion that they were doing the best they could. And um, I myself, you know, for in my journey, uh, you know, I lost my father when I was very young and then my mother, it was just her as a single mom and she was very, very sick. And, and also because of that sickness, she was on some pharmaceutical medications as well as some non-pharmaceutical medications, if you know what I mean. And so there were some decisions that were made, uh, in the midst of chronic pain and trying to survive, um, for a decade of my life that, it felt awful and it felt horrible to live through what I lived through. But at the same time, she was literally doing the best that she could. And and to come be able to do the work and come on the other side of that and to see my mother um, as a human and not just as this mother who should have been X, Y, and Z yeah. and didn't do A, B, and C, but see her as a human who, you know, truly was doing the very best she could with what, what she had on her plate. It's a very freeing thing, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. I remember... I was trying to explain to my father what I did for a living. Uh, at the time, I was a trainer. I, I had met it to a corporate to our corporate office training, and I was trying to explain to him what I did. And then it clicked. I'm like, you don't understand. Like, you really don't have the capacity because he doesn't. He hasn't been exposed to that kind of thing. So that was the moment that I realized, like, you really just are. This is the best you have. As I cannot persuade you otherwise. Um, and it was the most free moment. Like, okay. I got to love you just for you mm. and flawed as you are, or uh, you may have not, like you said, done X, Y, and Z, but he did A, B, and C. He, he was there. He was bitching and complaining the whole time. Sorry. You know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You're fine. <laughs> but he was there and he did give us a home. You know, I had to kind of check that and, and remind myself of that. And, you know, there's others, other people that don't, aren't, didn't have that privilege. So I had to, be grateful for what he was able to give. And then I, I say it this way, like I, he, he got, he got me this far and like, all right, dad, I got it from here. And I can, you know, like, thanks to getting me here the way you did and whatever shape you did, but I got it from here and I can carry the rock further. Yeah. And you are, you're doing it. You're making the life. You're literally um, 
your dream hacking, right? Like you had this dream of being able to spend time with your daughter and, and you know, your daughters and making that happen is, is so powerful. Hey, powerful parents, Stephanie here. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Did you know that statistics show that 88% of Americans say they eat dinner with their family every night or a few times a week? I think that's a pretty awesome stat. But if you're anything like me and you're an entrepreneur, then after a day filled of putting out fires and maybe various events testing your patience, sometimes it's hard to think of questions that can help you really connect with your kids beyond the standard, how was your day? When my kids were just littles, I put together a list of questions to solve this problem and to help us have something to connect with over dinner time. And now I would love to share my curated dinner questions with you. This is good for littles and for bigs. There's lots of different varying questions in there. And these questions are going to help to ensure that the conversation is not just lively, but will bring you closer to your children while you enjoy a delicious meal together. As a listener of this podcast, you can get access to these questions at www.powerfulparentingtribe.com. Once you're there, make sure to type in your best email and I'll have my team shoot over the questions for you. Once you get the questions, I encourage you to make this a family affair. Print them out. Have your kids help you cut them out. We even grabbed a mason jar, and my kids decorated it, and that's where we put all of our questions, and that same mason jar still sits on or near our dinner table to this day. We've been using these questions for close to eight years now, and I've really enjoyed the fun conversation and connection that's come from them. I hope your family enjoys them as much as mine have. Again, that's www.powerfulparentingtribe.com. Now back to the show. One thing with powerful parenting that I'm very obsessed with is this idea around what's what's happening in our world with screens in our homes. And so I'm so curious for you, uh, with you about what you've done with your daughters. I know they're adults now, but how, how have you managed, especially just in the co-parenting type of situation, was there any ever any conflict or thought to... Um, social media, screens, conversations, safety online. Like how did you handle some of those things with your daughters? All of the above. <laughs> um, we, uh, we, had, we had really specific conversations early on. And I, th- I think that's one of the biggest things that we need to consider. And you said it earlier, conversations are essential. Um, and I just like, oh, don't do this. <laughs> but the actual conversation behind it, and if you have them, I believe if you continue to have those at, from a very early age, as they get older and you have, to start, you have to have tougher conversations, it's easier because you've been having conversations throughout. One of the early conversations we had around um, devices was, uh, ironically, is my daughter's boss. She was doing a workshop. Uh, on safety, child safety, and under, uh, basically for parents and kids to understand that one of the big lessons is that this lives forever. Whatever you do is going to look bad on you, but it's also going to look bad on your family and, and this kind of thing. And I'm like, okay. So I, I started having that conversation with them. Like, you're going to get online and you're going to eventually get on devices and you need to know that this stuff lives forever. So we have those ongoing conversations. When it came to actually getting a device and, and allowing them to get on social media, once again, it was very intentional. Like, all right, with Instagram, because that was so young. <laughs> they were so excited. i like, you can have this. And for the first couple of years, it was, but the only way you can have it is if it's on private. And the only people that you can have as friends that, that you can accept is your friends that you truly know in person. Mm-hmm. No creepers, no weirdos. If you don't know them, you don't accept them. And I have to be. Uh, a friend. I had to be a follower, or whatever. I forget what it is on Instagram. So it was just really deliberate and intentional uh, and ongoing. And when things started to arise around being on the device too much, I don't like, 
specific conversations. When we're together, the phone goes down. Like, and we do it together collaboratively. We all we all put our phones away. It's, oh, I it's love family that. Time. Collaboratively, it's not at the dinner table. Um, there was an issue where I started hearing the phone in their beds when they went when we'd go to bed. We we tuck each other in and we all go to bed usually around the same time. And uh, I'm like, hmm, what's the solution? Addressing it, having a conversation, and then uh, the, the solution was we all. All of us will put our phones up at the end of the night. We'll send our goodnight text, the I love you text to the boyfriend, whatever. And then <laughs> we all put our devices to be charged. I have a little, I'm pointing because I have a, a shelf over here. And we all leave them there, all of us, uh-huh. to cut that off. We don't. We shouldn't even be on the phone before we go to bed anyways. Yep. So I don't want anyone sneaking around. <laughs> but it's really addressing what's obvious and finding solutions and talking. That's a really long-winded answer. But it's I, I, the question is really important. And lastly, they're both females. I'm like, look, under no circumstances, I'm like, I'm blunt with them. Are you ever to send nudes to anyone? I can. I understand the the desire, and as you get older, you're gonna want to. This stuff lives forever. Yes. Like you have to really consider that. If you ever get to that, when you get to that place with your partner, fine, but don't send nudes. Yes. You see what's happening when people hack your phone and you get these celebrities, you got all this type of, you don't think you can be hacked. Yes. Not, and then on top of that, who knows what happens to that person you're sending them to, what that relationship mm-hmm. ends like. I've actually had an ex-girlfriend who had that happen to her. She, oh some other guy she was dating down the line had that happen to her and she came to me. She's like, oh my God, what do I do? I'm like, uh, to make matters worse, the guy was an SEO marketer. So... He made it a point that if you search for her name or any variation of it, you were going to find that site no. with all those. It was where they call that porn revenge, revenge porn or something. Oh, my gosh. That's horrible. So these, I had to have really intentional, direct, honest conversations with them to make yeah. sure that they knew. So when it happened, they were like, oh, dad said this was going to happen. Yes. That is so powerful, TV. And I... I you, everything you said is so on point and so relevant. And I, I I think, you know, the common theme that we're always bringing up, or I'm, I'm so obsessed over is that relationship, that connection and those conversations. Uh, And the fact that you made the time and started having those conversations around that is so important. I was uh, talking with a friend of mine's daughter who is in middle school and she actually it's it's a normal thing for the girls in middle school to get texts from boys that say do you send middle school and they're asking, I'm not surprised but wow I know it's crazy and so that's the new kind of well I mean honestly that was a little bit longer uh, ago so it may have changed by now I don't yeah. know what it is but it's do you send and just the thought process that our girls nowadays are being asked that by their just, peers just, Yes. But do you send like, oh, and it's just so crazy. The, <laughs> I obnoxiousness around that. Oh, my goodness. Sorry. <laughs> so it's so crazy. And our, our world is changing more and more and more in the standards and expectations, especially, I think, on young girls mm-hmm. um, and how they need to show up online, um, mm-hmm. what relationships need to look like. And so I applaud you for, you know, making the time to set those conversations and setting the boundaries with the devices. Was that just so what I love and what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, you saw a problem and then you devised a solution for it and then you followed through. Right. Yes. And what what did you do about maybe some backlash from your girls? Like 
Because a lot of people, they'll talk and they'll be like, well, well, I just can't do that. You know, um, that this isn't what their friends do or they push back or they have a bad attitude and they really literally won't follow through with what they're asking their kids to do because of, of that. How did you handle that? Or did you get any backlash? I got none. Zero. And I know that sounds hard to believe. Um, I, 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 I'm convinced that we've just had such a, a close relationship at such a young age that they trusted me yes. 100% that they knew that I was, I literally had their best interest in mind and that of making sure to nurture the the relationship. So whenever I asked, not only did I ask or model it, then I think that's the other part is like, dad, you're always on, Mm -hmm. or you're you're always distracted. You're always, you know, texting and and driving or whatever. Is that if number one, if you're not modeling it to me is like the easiest way for you to get checked by your kid. Like, dude, (laughs) what are you talking about? Um, and then I think the other key piece to that for me, my experience is that I just continue to talk about it at such a young age. And, and I had, I'm convinced this is a theory. I'm, I'm personally convinced I didn't have any issues with my kids, even as teenagers. And it's crazy. I had two mm-hmm. at the same time. Um, because they trusted me. They, I had been involved in their life throughout that by the time they became teenagers, they still knew that they could trust me. And I think what happens around teenage years, this is a guess. I don't have any scientific data to back this up, but they lose trust in the parents. Yeah. That they're not, they don't understand them, that they don't relate, that they're out of touch, that they're just talking out. Well, when I was your age, they literally demean them in such a way that they, they, break that trust that they may have had as children that when it comes to having these types of conversations and encouraging, like, Hey, we're going to put our phones away. I say, we, we're going to put our phones away. They're like, all right, cool. fine." But they never, and I, it's hard to believe. I know it is never back talked me or said, no, I won't do that. I can't do that. Yeah. Well, no TV. I, I believe it. I I've had very minimal pushback on anything we've done with our kids and I fought very hard for the relationships that I I have with my kids. And I think the fruit is, is that, you know, there's trust there in a world where I think almost every Disney movie that I've seen recently just makes all the kids, I'm sorry, makes the parents look like complete idiots. Mm -hmm. Um, Not to dog Disney too hardcore, but like, you know, just like in the, the social media, it is about being relevant and cool. And then whenever you get with peer groups at young ages, it's, you know, they know everything and, you know, and and I think there's a a shift of, you know, uh, authority of who knows what, and for whatever reason, I know there was a book, I think I'd probably have to go back and look and see what it was, but there was a book that talked about as a parent, making sure that you were the trusted authority. Oh, I think I know what book you're talking about. This sounds very, very familiar. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm like on the tip of my brain, um, but yes. it, it really stuck with me. And I, yes. I, I was awakened to, and to the understanding that there is something, an entity, a force or a people group or whatever out there vying for my child's trust, mm-hmm. you know, like I yes. want to trust in them more yes. than I trust in my parents. And I had yes. to show up consistently and, and be there for them and uh, address things and not be scared to address things yes. and be real. Because I think honestly, around the age of 13, So many people, I feel like, treat their 13, 14, 15, 16 year olds like they're still children. And there's another book called Do Hard Things uh, by Mm. these young men. uh, They're two brothers. And they actually talk about that the word teenager didn't actually come into our vocabulary until I think it was the 50s, something like that. But prior to that, George freaking Washington at the age of 14 and 12 was out 
surveying land on his horse by himself. This sounds, yeah, I've thought about this as well, like what they were accomplishing in their teens. Yeah. Just creating countries. I think that's how they were in their teens, 19, 20, you know, like early 20s. Yes. Establishing countries, but yes. And, and that's because the way life was back then, you know, kids were expected to to grow up and to take on responsibility. And I feel like our culture has swung a lot mm. to where we just want to protect our children. We don't, you know, we don't want them to get hurt. We don't want them to make bad decisions. And if they do, we want to protect them from the repercussions of the bad decisions just because we've experienced them. We don't want our children to hurt or to want for anything. But in the swinging of that pendulum, we actually do our children a huge disservice. 100%. Because we learn from loss. We learn from pain. We learn yep. from our mistakes. And they're almost, well, they are vital, in my opinion, to the human existence and the, the growth of a human soul. And whether it's learning from the, the mistakes of others or, or our own mistakes, it seasons us as a human with more compassion, more understanding, more responsibility, um, yes. more maturity. And so anyway, I, I, I think that um, a lot of times, like I love that. I don't know what age it was exactly that you started this chess club, you know, this unintentional chess club with your daughters and your daughter started teaching other people too. Like you were in it with them. And it's like, you were doing life side by side rather than eyeball to eyeball where you're like looking down at them. But instead it's like, Mm -hmm. come alongside me and let's go do these things together. That's, that's a very good point. Third grade and first grade. Oh, they they were, it was crazy. And we were working together. We were learning together. If I learned something, they learned it. Uh, everything that uh, concepts, ideas, conversational tricks, uh, how to manage a conversation. I, I speak to them about anything and everything that I learn. Like, oh, check out this thing I learned. And I will also say, though, something that I think helps is that I also have the respect of their peers. Their their peers actually look up to me as well. They they see me as some, as some wise, smart but- how did you become Engaged. the cool dad, TV? How does that I became work? the cool. Exactly. Yeah. They're like, man, I wish my dad was like your dad, or I wish my dad would show up like your dad. Or, so it was like it further reaffirmed my um, I don't say power, but that I that not only do not only am I saying this in their best interest, but even their their friends agree that I have their best interest at heart, that they they wish that their father was more like me, mm. like them, like me. Well, I'm sorry, I'm getting confused in my pronouns here. <laughs> but um so it, it further affirmed that what I am saying has value and my presence has value. So whenever I have to put my foot down and say that we're going to change this, we're going to change the way we do that because it's not right. We're not engaging with each other that they actually do it because it's almost like a, a force. A universal force is saying this man knows what he's talking about and he happens to be my father. Golly, mm, that's powerful. That's awesome. Yeah, it's the craziest that. thing to have the kids like run up to me and hug me and like, hey, Mr. TV. Hey, Anna's dad. Hey, Fez's dad. Uh, it, it, they all Google me. They find me. They think I'm some type of celebrity. Like, it's just the most <laughs> insane thing. But they, they see the content as well. Like, that's the other part. Like the content, the art, they're, they're mesmerized by it. And they, they have this huge amount of respect for me. Yeah. Um, the boyfriends respect me. So they, they know I'm watching them they're and better. they're watching me. Yes. Um, so we have relationships. We have friendships. We're having conversations. But universally, like there is this, this belief that I actually care and, and I'm present and that your dad's cool. You should really be thankful. Well, and, you know, I think that that is the message that the youth of this day kind of have around a lot of adults is that they don't care because we're living a distracted life whenever I think it's actually truly not the actual reality. I think a lot of parents do care. I think that a lot of well, parents do, yeah. feel 
completely overwhelmed, trying to make ends meet. I think there's so many expectations for us to live up to as adults on this planet and things that we're supposed to do and earn and be and fix and do perfectly. And uh, I think a lot of that can get so overwhelming for so many parents. And then they they can appear like they don't care because they get wrapped up in themselves, which I think drives us back to what's the most important that is so obvious in in your walk is that you've got to do the deep work, right? Yes. So I have this this theory. I have a handful. As, as I do more and more of this, I'm writing. I eventually will have a book. If you do the deep work, whatever that work looks like for you, whether it be religious, whether it be through therapy, whether it be whatever, but if you just literally become a better version of yourself, everything else is downstream from that. You will become a better partner. You will become a better father, a mother. You will become a better employer, a boss, because that human being is showing up in every part of the world, every other context. Yeah. If you do that work, parenting becomes easier. It yeah. just does because you're going to act as if that same human being is in every other context. It's just to me, it's just obvious now. And to your point, do the work, whatever that looks like, because we're all flawed or damaged in some way and we're living our world through that damaged lens and it it breaks my heart because it's so evident to me but everyone has their own you know they they have their own timeline and they're working through it at their own pace and that's fine tv what are some of the ways that you did the work like if there's someone listening like man maybe i should be doing some work what 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 are some of the ways you did it so maybe they can model it for themselves (sighs) well first knowing that i have a lot of crap (laughs) like okay there's a lot of things and beliefs that that may not serve me anymore so knowing that acknowledging that I read a lot of books, uh, a lot of self-help books. And now oh, that sounds cheesy, but there's value to be extracted from them. Self-help, personal development books. Um, you're reading that book from Hardy. Yeah. Um, Hardy. So there's information there. So it's like, oh, I never thought about it. Oh, oh. Um, therapy. I've done therapy um, for a while, about a year uh, to get it even deeper. Um, had com- honest conversations with my peers. Like what? where am I missing? What am I missing? What am I blind to? Mm. Uh, they're observing me in the world and saying, Hey, you're, I see you keep making this mistake. I'm like, Oh crap. Yeah. Where patterns are you seeing that are, I'm oblivious to what are my blind, what are my blind spots? Um, and just being open to that, it hurts. Yeah. Um, but if you do the first big step of acknowledging, like I have some stuff I need to work through, then everything else becomes easier. Uh, and just being, being aware, man, like if your relationships aren't working, why? Yeah. what's your role in this and like actually asking those 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 questions of your the people in your life that matter to you why why is this not working and that to me is the biggest one and one of the biggest things i did i didn't go to college either my oldest didn't didn't go, didn't go to college my younger one is oh, by the way she's the academic she's gonna go fly off <laughs> but um my first business partner actually found him in nlp i'm sure you're familiar with it yeah, NLP. linguistic programming yeah i'm a master practitioner nice <laughs> yeah i uh I was when I was working through this entire thing of building a business, I signed up for that. Uh, and that's where I found my first business part. Um, that, that's where we take took off. But in the neuro linguistic programming uh, certification and all that, you do a lot of work, mm. a lot of deep work on you know your stories and your traumas and everything. You go back into the past and you talk to your younger self. It was at the time. It was the closest thing to therapy because it's like I've never thought about doing those types of those types of exercises. This was even possible. So that was the first big amount of work I did. I did that for two years, two levels, and it unpacked a lot of things. And I recognized, like, man, I got a lot of stuff. <laughs> and then just committing to it, 
long term. That was the biggest thing. Like it's it's I say this about a lot of things. It took a lifetime to become you. It's gonna take a while to undo some of that and, and place yeah. new beliefs and new oper- new ways of operating uh internally and, and to where it becomes a part of your new identity. Oh, golly, that's so powerful. I know um deep work has changed everything for me as a human, just, yep. you know, when we grow up and things aren't necessarily the nuclear family or things aren't perfect or even ideal, it just has so much effect. But the cool part is, is you and I, TV, didn't necessarily come from a childhood that was perfect or or whatever. And I would say that TV, you're an outstanding human being and you're making a difference in the world and you're showing up for your daughters. And so I think that anybody who is listening that maybe things aren't perfect and things are a little screwed up, like there's hope your child can be okay. (laughs) We can turn out okay from any type of trauma. I know um, a a, a dear family uh, of mine that I just adore their family, friends, and they lost they lost their dad to cancer mm-hmm. and their kids are some of the most beautiful sensitive people and i i we would you know trade anything to have him back but wow um how much those kids have grown um despite the thought of like the the all the horrible thoughts you have whenever you lose, lose a family member what how is this going to affect them how is this going to change their life and um they're beautiful 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 souls and kids and and, and, and growing and, and, and doing so well. And so, yeah, it, there's hope for anybody yes. who's listening and maybe, maybe you're going through divorce or yeah. you, um, or you have a nuclear family that maybe it's not happy, or maybe you're working and you've built a business and you don't have any time for the children. I have been there. I've been there in and out through my entrepreneurial journey where my priority was my kids and then whoopsie found myself way busier than I ever intended to be. And I had to undo that, right? Like, we we've all go through all this stuff and there's always hope for our kids. Even if we are currently kind of screwing things up, we can always rebound and come back from that. That's the beauty of life, right? We can always come back from, from things to the, to the best of our ability um, to kind of wrap it up here. Cause I want to be respectful of our time together. Um, can you tell us, I, 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 I would love to know since you've been reading books, since you were a young boy, are there any books that come to mind that you would love and recommend for parents listening right now uh, in, in the light of being a parent, being an entrepreneur? Uh, he's like checking out all of his shelves. I have shelves everywhere. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Finish your question. I'm trying to. You know, yeah. Like, are, there, are there any specific books that you'd be like, yeah, I, I love this book. This book is amazing. I got the girls. What's that book on stoicism? The daily. Uh, um, hold on. I think I know what you're talking about. The, uh, by the guy with the Daily Stoic. Um, yeah, forget his name. Uh, um, I was just listening to his podcast yesterday. Now, I can't, Ryan Holiday. Ryan Holiday, his first book on stoicism. His not his first first book because his first book was on marketing and the second one was on marketing. <laughs> but um, I I read that and the stoicism is <laughs> actually a funny story because my daughter I had shared that with them. I actually bought them each a copy. I wrote their name in them and I said, Hey, if you ever wonder what Dad would say or do read this book. If ever you come into a place where like, dang, what would he do? What would he recommend? And you can't get a hold of me or you're just wondering, this is the book that will kind of line it out. It's a simple read. And it's one that I got them at a very early, very early age. And they would, they read it. Was and it then the we would do book the way? The Obstacle is the Way, yes. Okay. I love that book. That is yes. such a great book. The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Yes. So that for me was one of the first books that I um, I love and I, I even recommend it to the girls. Like I try to give them a little library. Another one is the 
Oh my goodness, I suck at book titles. I'm sorry, but I do know it's Brene Brown, the one on um, Daring Greatly. Uh, Daring Greatly. I also got them a copy of that because um, they're getting older and like this is going to become a thing, and it needs to be addressed now. And needs to be, you need to start having these ideas. That book like opened my mind up to some thoughts and ideas that I had never considered. Like, oh wow, because that that knowing that vulnerability. Because I'm a very vulnerable person. I'll share a lot. Yeah. And, it, and I think that's probably my superpower. Like, I'm not ashamed of who I am. Um, and at times I have been put in a place of shame and felt it, but I'm not ashamed of who I am. And I, I'm, I was a big geek uh, and surrounded by gang in area with a bunch of gangs. And I was just happy to look. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, understanding as it relates to families and relationships and how that plays itself out. So that's another fantastic book that I think would be beneficial for any parent and then for your kids, too. Mm-hmm. I had them read it and give me book reports. Like, all right, read a chapter and let's talk. This is the type of stuff we would do. Oh, um, I love that. Yes. And, and I, I, uh, I'm trying to think. There's probably three or four more. That's the only two that come immediately to mind that oh, that's great. Will, will crack you open and, and share some things that you may not have ever considered. That's uh, a, so, Oh, go ahead. If I can say one more thing on that book on, on, on uh, Brene Brown, it will make you aware of your parenting are you for me i've always been conscious of it but it made me more conscious of how older generations parented it's universal actually they use shame and guilt to try to coerce you into doing the right thing or what they want you to do Mm -hmm. they literally will always package it in shame or guilt oh you never call me or you know why don't you do like why don't you go to church or they could be any and even the church itself will use shame and guilt and package that to try to get you to follow, you know, the word of God. I refuse to parent them that way. I, I wanted to do a better job and actually persuade them, tell them it's in their best interest, and so forth and so on. But anyways, that book actually made me aware of that. Ah, oh, that is so, so, so powerful. I love that because I think if we understand where our um, motivators are for what we're doing, and, and and usually at the core of any kind of discipline we're giving to our child, it's because either one, we're moving out of fear, we don't want something mm-hmm. to happen, or two, we're moving out of love, um, which I can, there's crossover there, you know, but we just, we want something for them so bad. We just love them so yes. much. Um, and, and, and being aware that like, okay, that core motivator is there and awareing what is it? And then how is it coming out of my mouth whenever I'm talking to them? And how is it, not only how do I think it's coming out of my mouth, but how is it actually being received? Right. And one of the biggest eye-opening moments I actually had whenever my kids were really little, we had this camera and I had gotten up, um, from, uh, something I was shooting and the camera was still going and I had to discipline one of my kids. And whenever I went back and I watched the camera, I was like, Oh my gosh, Oh wow! that is yes. not how I think I sound. That is not yes. how I meant to sound. I do not want to sound that way. Um, because there's no talent, like I'm big and they're little and that's, yes. I, no, that's I didn't recognize and, and I was just, I mean, that's my mom sounded that way, you know, like Ooh, that was, yeah. that was normal. And I'm like, I, I won't talk yes. to my kids that way anymore. I won't, you know, um, use that tone like that with them anymore. And, um, I'm happy to say it was such a startling wake up that it made yeah. that difference in my life to where I was so sensitive when that was rising up in me. I was like, okay, it's because of this and it's going to want to come out that way. But no, Pause. instead I'm going to take a second. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to choose and how I'm going to intentionally respond instead of reacting and um, game changer. Right. Um, Such a game changer. Mm -hmm. Being aware of your emotions, taking a pause 
and then actually figuring out how I'm going to word this in such a way that it's more persuasive yeah. and encouraging rather than just dismissive and almost abusive, like, like with words, like that's huge. Uh-huh. Good for you. Yeah. It's, and it's hard. <laughs> it's hard for all of us, right? Some it battles is. we win, some battles we lose, but we can learn. So what I want to do just to wrap it up, uh, TV, okay. if there's an encouragement you have for any parent that's listening right now, I would love for you just to take a second um, and any thoughts you have, it, no pressure, it could be as simple as a one-liner, but if there's anything that you would uh, say or to encourage the parents out there, and I want to frame it this way, I feel like this part of that I'm trying to develop into the podcast is I want to give parents an, an opportunity to speak into the lives of other parents and encourage, mm. because I feel like we don't often get encouraged as parents right? Um, Sometimes we feel like we're in it alone. We're not always in community where people can be like, Hey man, you did a great job or, you know? And um, so, you know, like I said, it could be as little as, as one line or, you know, whatever you want to say to that parent who might be listening, maybe they're the entrepreneur that is, Mm -hmm. you know, struggling and and working too much. And they're, they haven't been able to successfully build the life that you have. What kind of words would you have for them? There's so much I want to say. (laughs) I think one of my biggest, uh, things I would like to share is to remember that they're just children. Um, and even when they're 20, 22, they're still children. They're still young children learning and having that patience and love um, with them, especially, well, even more so when they're infants, when they're five, when they're 10, being patient with them, even though you may have told them to do something five times, 10 times, they're still children grabbing the human language, understanding what all this means. And they need patience. They need love. You're literally programming them. I I call it programming. We can call it parenting. We can call it leadership. We can call it what you want. I call it programming because that's essentially what we're doing to our kids. So know that you're programming them with the words and the conversation that you're having with them. And if you're also programming them to believe that you actually have a little patience and don't understand them as they get older. So it will be no surprise when they become teenagers, they don't trust you anymore. You are their superhero. You are it for the first 10, 12 years of their lives because they have no other exposure. Be patient, be loving. And if you do that and and you acknowledge your own flaws along the way, like, oh, I didn't know I screwed that up, son, daughter. I'm sorry. Not being afraid to apologize. It will go so far. Many of us as adults, if we were to receive those apologies from our parents, we'd immediately almost forgive them and it would melt. So that was three or four things. Be patient, be loving, um, and don't be afraid to apologize. Oh, goodness gracious. That don't be afraid to apologize is a is huge TV. So I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And also, how can people learn more about you? What what are your handles on social? How can how can people learn more from you? Um, you can find me. Find I have a podcast. Um, I am a marketer. I usually don't like to talk about the marketing stuff, but you can find me online at TV, T-E-E-B-E-E dot F-M. That's where my podcast is at. And from there, you can jump off to all the social media channels. Um, depending if my handle was available, I may have at TV, but unfortunately, not all of them would have them. Um, but from there, you can find me and uh, yeah, look forward to meeting you or virtually somewhere. <laughs> Nice. Awesome. TV, thank you so much again. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening and tuning in to the Powerful Parenting Podcast. Until next time, keep being powerful. I truly hope you enjoyed our episode today on the Powerful Parenting Journey Podcast. Make sure to hit follow and subscribe so that you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. You're not going to want to miss a thing. I promise. 
If you were impacted by this episode, do me a favor and leave a review with a comment. I read every one of them and I also pass them along to our guests. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them or post it on your social media to share with friends. You can catch the show notes for this episode and any mentioned links at powerfulparenting.com forward slash podcast. If you want to see more behind the scenes with me and my guests, be sure to find me on Instagram or Facebook. It's where we can have deeper conversations on these podcasts. Take care. And remember, it's not about being a perfect parent. It's about taking each day and working on showing up powerfully for our kids. They deserve it. And you are the parent for the job. See you on the next episode.